Hey everyone, James here. Today we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 28, 10-22. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will like, be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all and of all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Thanks. All right, thank you, James, and good morning, everyone. Excited to get into this passage today. Uh, might not be a surprise to you guys that uh, thinking about place is something that my family and I are doing a fair bit at the moment as we think to the future and the move that we are going to be making soon. And so I wonder, do you have special places in your life? I'm, I'm pretty sure that you would be. Let me run you through some of mine uh, from years gone by. So uh, one special place to me is that that building there uh, with the big red door, that is, sorry, so the, the room with the big red door, that is the room in which I first met Fiona. And it just so happens that that room is on the top floor of the building where I first became a Christian. It's also the place where Australia's number one university, Melbourne University, where I happen to graduate from, uh, also is, is there. So that's nice too. First degree. Awesome. Uh, so that place is special to me for a number of reasons. This is the house that I grew up in. So from the time that I was five until I was, uh, let's see, 17 and set off for America, uh, this was the house that I grew up in, and it also happens to be the place where my daughter was born, in my brother's room, of all places. Uh, and yes, that is my hair. Yeah, I know. Uh, and another really special place is this place here. And the home that we've been in for the last six years... And it will continue to be special because there's so many memories of our kids here when they're little and the way that they have grown. And it is a bittersweet thing to be thinking about leaving this place that will now forever be special for us, even as we look to move towards a new place and what God has for us there. So places are really special because of who's there, because of what happens, and because of the significance that they have for us as we move forward in our lives. 
And today, we're going to be thinking about a special place where Jacob meets God, and then we're going to think a little bit more about what it means for us to have a special place where we can meet God now, too. So, quick little recap for us of the story so far. We've had Jacob, uh, who has been, uh, let's face it, not the greatest of guys. Uh, most recently, we've seen how he teamed up with his mum to deceive his elderly, blind father and to steal the blessing that his dad Isaac had intended to give to his older brother Esau, dressed up like Esau, the whole deal, the, the goat skin, the whole thing, uh, and managed to swindle that blessing away from his brother. And because of his brother's fury, we saw last week how Rebecca said, you now need to leave and you need to get out of this place, at least until he calms down. And we've seen that Isaac has now prayed for him again and given him another blessing uh, that sort of ties back to that which was given to his granddad Abraham, right? So that's kind of the the backdrop to what's happening here. And so he's going to set out on this long journey to go from the place where he has grown up to the place where his mother's family is, alright? So it says there, Genesis 28.10, Jacob left Beersheba, where he's grown up, and set out for Haran. Now, it's quite a long journey, okay? Beersheba is that blue circle right down in the bottom corner there. Haran is the red circle right up at the top. That's roughly the distance from, you know, Gosford to Melbourne, Sydney to Melbourne. It's that sort of ter- distance. It's a long trip, okay? And today, we're going to see him get stopped after just the first 80 k's or so, so, you know, roughly Gosford to Sydney, uh, after he's made this journey over two days or so, alright? So, that's the, the gap that he's travelled there from the blue circle there in Beersheba up to the green uh, oval there in the place that he's going to name Bethel. Okay, so that's kind of where we're at at present. So it says, Jacob left Beersheba, set up for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because because the sun had set. Now, it's interesting this phrase in the Hebrew, he reached a certain place. It's normally a phrase that's sort of used for bumping into a person rather than a place. So there's kind of this sense of he, he, he bumped into this place that was there. And so we get this sense that there's something significant about this place just because of the weird phrasing. And also, because uh, while it goes on to say that he takes one of the stones there, he puts under his head and lays down to sleep, in the Hebrew, we actually have this repetition of the word place three times in these verses. So a slightly more literal translation would be, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones in that place there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep in that place. Okay, so we've got this repetition that suggests there's something special and significant about this place, which we're going to see exactly what it is in a moment. Uh, but this fascination with place was one that some old, older Christians uh, from medieval times used to love to play around with. So some medieval scholars were like, hey, this place seems to be a big deal. Maybe that's where Solomon's temple was. You know, it's kind of close. You know, geography sort of shifts over time, place names, maybe that's what was going to be significant about this place. Martin Luther, even though he couldn't prove it, and he knew he couldn't prove it, but he kind of liked the idea that maybe this is the place where Jesus would eventually be crucified. So everyone sort of recognizes that there's something important about this place, and something amazing happens here, and regardless of whether there's something that you know down the line happens, it's clear this place is important. Alright, so it goes on. It says that Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. 
and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now, if you've got an older translation, it might say ladder. Some of you might be familiar with the term Jacob's ladder, that sort of idea that the word could be translated either way. Stairway, though, seems to fit best, uh, mainly because we've got these angels ascending up and down on it. We'll come back to that in just a second. It goes on, it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, and will watch over you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this place for Jacob is special for two reasons. One, he gets this incredible vision Okay, And then two, because of what God says to him, and we'll look at each of these in turn. So first up, dream in which he saw a stairway. Like I said, some people, you know, translations may be laddered. Stairway seems to fit pretty well. Either way, what's key is, it's this meeting place between the heaven and the earth where the angels are ascending and descending upon it. Some of you might be wondering, why are the angels doing this? We're not totally sure, but we do get couple of pictures in scripture of this idea of the angels going out from God and then patrolling the earth or guarding nations and that sort of stuff. So in the book of Job it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them and there's sort of this sense they got back from patrolling around the earth. That's kind of the picture there, you can look it up. Uh, but then also in Zechariah 1.8 we've got this uh, vision that the prophet Zechariah sees. He's got this angel with him. He sees some horses hanging out between these two myrtle trees. And when he says, what are these? Then the angel says, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And it's kind of, again, this angelic picture in a symbolic sort of fashion. So there seems to be a couple of places in scripture, this idea that angels come from the heavens and they do stuff in the earth. Not exactly sure what, but that's cool. All right. So angels are amongst us in that sense. But the key thing for this passage is, this is the place where the angels are ascending and descending. It's where heaven meets earth. Okay, so this is a a special place. Jacob has been given a vision that it's on this plot of land here where this stairway begins, some sort of speculate maybe from the stone that he had his head laid on, something like that, that actually is the place where the heavens and the earth meet. Alright? Then it goes on, and we've got this thing that God says to him. So we've been given this great vision, but also God gives this speech to him. And some of this language should be fairly familiar to those of us who have been working through Genesis. Okay, We've got these three big blessings that God is promising to give to Jacob, and they line up with the promises of blessing that God has already given to his grandfather Abraham and to his dad Isaac, and now which he speaks to him directly. He says, I will give you and your descendants land. Your descendants will be like dust of the earth. There's going to be lots of them. You're going to be a great nation. And then all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. These are the classic, big picture, people of God, Old Testament promises that we see repeated again and again and eventually fulfilled in different ways. But then we also get this extra little promise that's only just been given to to Jacob. This doesn't sort of match up with what's been given to Abraham or Isaac quite in the same way. It says, the God said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. 
Now, Jacob's setting out on this long trip. He's having to leave his family. I imagine this is quite a, a touching and sweet idea of comfort for the 60-year-old Jacob to be receiving at this point. He's just been given these amazing blessings by God. He's got this promise from God that he's going to be with him no matter what. But I just want to remind you for a second that these are the promises that God is giving to Jacob literally 48 hours after he deceived his father, betrayed his brother, and has just said goodbye to his mother for the last time because of his sinful choices. See, when we read these grand pictures about the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, and we see the Abrahamic blessings and all this sort of stuff, it can be tempting to put these guys up on a pedestal and think these are the heroes, and and the way that they get talked about through Scripture, and that that phrase, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, makes it sound like these guys were awesome on some extra special level. No, 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 no. This is an incredible picture of God's grace and mercy to a guy that had done absolutely nothing to deserve this incredible blessing. Literally. The only mention of God that Jacob has made so far is when using his name to tell a lie to his dad when his dad wasn't sure if it really was Esau or Jacob, and Jacob's like, you know, sorry, Isaac says, how did you get out there so quickly and get back with this food for me? And he's like, the Lord your God gave me success. That's literally the only time God's name has been on Jacob's lips. And this is the guy that God is now saying, land, people, blessings, and I'll be with you no matter what. It's an incredible picture of God's grace and mercy to people who don't deserve it. Now, thankfully, Jacob has some sense of the specialness of this moment and what's happened here. It says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So first I begin, notice that emphasis on that word place. There's something very special about this place where Jacob has come. He recognizes the significance of it. And this for Jacob is a a paradigm shifting event. Like I said, he's only known God as the God of his father. Even when he spoke God's name, he didn't say our God. He said your God, dad. But now... He says, the Lord God is in this place. And I didn't even know it. It's like the scales have fallen from his eyes. There's a new awareness of the world and that God is there present in this place. And he declares that this is the house of God, the gate of heaven. This is the place where heaven meets earth. This is where one would come to if they wanted to ascend up to heaven. It's where the angels descend to when they enter in to do their business for the Lord. And Jacob responds pretty well to this idea, that, that even though that he's not been aware of it. It says, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. You know, kind of this uh, ancient Near Eastern practice of establishing a place, marking it as special, anointing it there. That, that's what he's doing. And he called that place Bethel, Beit El, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. So Jacob has had this 
paradigm shifting moment. He doesn't deserve this incredible blessing from God. He's been fleeing from his life. He's got half of his family that just furious with him. One member at least wanting to kill him. And now he's come to this place. God has met him here. He's promised him blessings that he does not deserve. And Jacob turns and worships the Lord the first time that we've seen him do this. It's great. Although there is still, like just a hint of the old Jacob here, uh, which I feel like we've got to point out. It says, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Jacob's a crafty guy, we've seen that. He's a negotiator. And I love how he sort of sneaks in here, this this idea that God has promised to be with him no matter what. He's promised to bring him back no matter what. But he's like, and Lord, if you give me food and clothing, huh? You know, and just works that in there. But I don't want to be too harsh on our guy Jacob here. I think that what we see here is a genuine shift where he has a new understanding of God. And even though he might have some maturing to do yet, as we'll certainly see, there is this definite sense here that he now understands something new about God because he's come to this place and met with him and been given this vision and these words. And it's really, really interesting the way that this picture, this meeting place of God, this meeting place between heaven and earth gets picked up by Jesus and he uses these words to make a point about himself. So, at the very start of John's Gospel, we've got a situation where we're being introduced by the, by the author of the Gospel, John, okay, to Jesus, as people come up to him and they're calling him different names. I won't show you all of them, but I'll show you a little snippet uh, that leads up to Jesus' naming of himself. So, Philip, one of Jesus' uh, guys, he says, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Okay? Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So we've got this idea he's the one whom the prophets have written about, the one whom Moses spoke of. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel, blown away that he could have known this somehow, declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Okay, three names in one sentence. Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. Jesus says, though, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. Okay, you'll see greater things than what I just showed you. What is the greater thing that you will see? He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The, the phrasing is, is almost exactly the same, even though we're going from different languages. It, it's the same phrase. Okay? Jesus says, angels of God descending, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In our Genesis passage, it's described as the angels of God ascending and descending on it, on the, the stairway. Okay, Jesus has taken the stairway that is the meeting place between heaven and earth and replaces it with himself. 
Right? It's, it's not a difficult connection to make, right? Jesus is making this really definitive statement that the place where now heaven and the earth meet is in me. Now, there's a very big sort of theological component to this. Jesus is both God and man, 100% God, 100% man. He has both his divine nature and his human nature. Literally in the person of Christ, this is the meeting place of the divine and earthly ideas. But it's also the sense in which, as he says later in John's Gospel, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who wants to know the Father comes through him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John chapter 14. In fact, later on in John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the gate. He says, very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and robber. And then a little bit later in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jacob named that meeting place where the angels were ascending and descending on the stairway, the house of God, the gate of heaven. Jesus says, the place where angels are ascending and descending is now me, and I am the gate through which one enters to get to heaven. Not complicated, but profound, right? And so I think that the big takeaway from this passage for us is that if we want to meet with God, then we do it through the gate of heaven, who we now know to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that there's two ways that we can think about this, depending on where we are with Christ now. So, in our Jacob passage, we have Jacob, who lays his head down upon a stone and has this incredible vision and revelation from God that there is a meeting place between the heaven and the earth and believes in him and commits himself to following him. In the New Testament, we see a picture of the stone being rolled away and the empty tomb being the marker, the place where we learn that Jesus is who he said that he was and that confirms that he is the meeting place now between heaven and earth. And so first up, if you this morning are not currently believing in Jesus and following him, but you're checking this out, you're wanting to know, can I know God? Is he real? Is, is this a thing that actually has some truth to it? The place where you are to meet God is in Jesus Christ. If you're wondering, who is God? What is the meaning of this place? What, what is this world? What is its purpose? What am I meant to be doing in it? The answers are found in the meeting place between heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now the place that we come to, to understand who God is. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, it talks about how in times gone past, God spoke to his people through prophets, but now he speaks to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sustains and overcomes all things. So if you've, if you've been visiting with us, if you've been checking this whole church thing out, if you've been watching online but haven't yet made it into this place, let me invite you this morning to come and meet Christ so that you might know the Lord through Him. And I want to lead you in a little prayer 
that you can say at home right now if that's where you're at. Let's pray. So, dear God, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ and that it's in him that we can meet you. Please forgive us of our sins and enable us to meet with you through everything that Christ has done. And please help us to obey you and love you and serve you as the Lord of all things if you have revealed yourself to us. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've just prayed that prayer, this is a special moment in, in, in very, very real terms. That is you meeting with God in Jesus. And I encourage you that if, if you've done that, please get in touch with us. Through the office, through our website, you, there are ways to get in touch with us. We would love to connect with you and help you to think more about what it means to know God in Christ. But for lots of us this morning, the majority of us by far, we already have some knowledge of Jesus. And so what are we to take away from this passage ourselves? What does it look like for us as Christians today to keep meeting with God, to keep coming to the place where heaven meets earth in Christ Jesus? Well, I think there's a, there's a few different ways that we can do that. And, and look, there's nothing complicated about any of them. But again, it's worth slowing down and just realizing how incredibly special this is. See, we read this story of Jacob laying his head down upon a stone pillow and it's kind of quirky and it's amazing, a vision from God. The heavens open, angels ascending and descending. It seems extraordinary. And you know what? That knowledge of God that Jacob got in that moment is nothing compared to the incredible revelation that we now have of knowing God through Jesus, the place where heaven and earth meet. The depth of knowledge and understanding of who God is that we have through Christ and everything that he has done for us. And as we hold the Bible and have his word before us, and as we can pray and talk to him as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father who have been welcomed into the throne room, the meeting with God that we are capable of in Jesus far surpasses and blows away the experience that Jacob had. The thing is, as we live in our, our everyday world, as we exist in this heavenly, uh, sorry, in this earthly realm that we live in, we, we can lose sight of the fact that, that the heavens have been open to us every day, every moment. And look, I'm not talking about us living in some sort of hyper spiritual sort of space cadet, like ooh, the spirit. Uh, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is this: at any time, as we go about our business in this world, we have through the Spirit and through what Christ has done, the ability to speak to God, to hear from Him, to invite Him into us and to have a vision on par and surpassing everything that Jacob saw. We live in a world so full of distractions and so much ordinary things and so many tantalizing, tempting things in this world that our eyes can get so firmly fixed on those things that we forget that the heavens are now open, that the angels ascend and descend through the place where we meet God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we turn to pray to him, when we open up God's word, when we read it, these are not just mundane activities. These are an affirmation that the heavens have been opened and we can see God clearly and know him through Jesus. And so when we are discouraged, or we, we are tempted towards bitterness, or when we are down, or when we are anxious, or when we are angry, or when we are hurt, or when we feel broken, 
Whatever our pain and suffering in this world, when we flee from our sin, when we know we've done wrong, when we're on the run like Jacob was, the place that is always open to us now, if only we would reach out and grab hold of it, is Jesus Christ, where the heavens meet the earth. We are not left broken and destitute in this world. Jacob, he couldn't find anywhere to stay the night. He's sleeping out in the open. He had, at this point, nothing on the run. Guilty, no doubt, fleeing from family, all this sort of stuff. The future completely stuck in front of him. And the Lord miraculously opens the heavens. And he's done that for you this morning, every single day that you believe in Jesus. That's your life. But we've got to believe it. We've got to take hold of it. It's, it's, it's right there. But we won't feel it. We won't get the fullness of it unless we grab hold of it. And I know this, look, I know this is hard for us to, to, to remember and do. And again, I'm not talking about, you know, riding this constant spiritual high, but I'm talking about this deep foundational knowledge that in the midst of an argument with my spouse, I can stop and say, you know what, we just need to pray and let Christ come into this space right now. When I'm, when I'm talking to my kids and they're getting me angry and furious and I know I need to calm myself down, you know what, kids? Just give me a moment. I'm going to pray. I'm going to bring God into this place right now. When you're at work and you're, you're being mocked or you're being treated unfairly or, or people are making fun of you being Christian, you know what, let me just close the door for a minute and let me go to the place where the heavens have been opened, where Christ himself is here with me and through him I know the Lord. Every day, the gate of heaven is open to us. And just like for Jacob, this was a paradigm-shifting, life-altering moment. We can have that too in any moment if we remember this truth and lay hold of it. So whatever your special place is, and it's great to have special places that we go to, even maybe special places where we take our Bible and pray and, and moments of quiet reflection and all that sort of stuff, that's awesome. But let's not forget that it's in Christ that we have this awesome meeting place. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we get to hear this message right before we have the opportunity to come back into this place and meet with the Lord together. Because heaven hasn't just been opened up for you or me as individuals, it's been opened up for us as a community. And we now next week have the opportunity to come back together in person, to be here in the same place in order to connect with God in Christ the meeting place between heaven and earth, and worship him truly as we should. And I can't wait to see you guys here. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that you have opened up the heavens to us in the meeting place of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, so much that when we come to him and we look upon him, we know you truly. Father, if there are those out there today who have prayed this prayer for the first time to confess their sins and confess faith in you, please help them to reach out to us, to connect with us, help them, help us to love and serve them well and bring them forward on this journey. For those of us that know you already, help us to find a renewed vigor and a sense of urgency and a sense of delight and a sense of desire to bring you into the heavenly and sorry, into the earthly spaces in which we live in every day and to never let us forget that the, the gate to heaven has been brought wide open through your death and resurrection. And as we do this, may we live as your spirit-filled people, transformed by you and for you, day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.